Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I've got a stack oddy, Mark. It's a seasonal stack oddy. Have you got one? Oh, I have one? a seasonal one for you. Okay, well, I'm going to go first. Back across the net. Go, you go first. Um, you know, there are all those uh, memorable Christmas hits. And then there are slightly less memorable Christmas hits. Oh, God, hits. we've done the same thing. This is great. <laughs> I like it. Come on. Okay, let's see if we've chosen the same yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so these are, you know, five actual Christmas minor scrapes in the charts. Yeah. Yes. Except one of them is the product of my imagination. Uh, okay. Okay, that's okay. exactly what I've done. So everyone like really dull minds think no, like, no, no, okay, no, go at on. this time of year. Yeah, nobody has fresh ideas at this time no, of year. I, I mean all like radio all radio programmes I guarantee we'll still be running about uh, features about Christmas pantomimes and things like that, won't they? Because they they just do that stuff at Christmas. They do. Anyway, you have to. It's compulsory. Okay. First one is by the goodies. Okay, right. it's by the goodies. It's called Father Christmas, Do Not Touch Me. Yeah. Father Christmas, Do Not Touch <laughs> Me by the goodies. Yeah. The second one, you see where we're going here, uh, yeah. is uh, is by Mr. Blobby. Remember yeah. Mr. Blobby? And this is The Blobby and the Ivy. It's pastiche on, you know, the <laughs> well-known carol. <laughs> the Blobby and the Ivy, my Mr. Blobby. <laughs> Here we go, number three. My hot pants, with a Z at the end, hot pants. Give you one for Christmas. Give you one for Christmas by hot pants. Two more to go. The Cheeky Girls, the Cheeky Girls, always original, have a cheeky Christmas. (laughs) See what they did there? See what they did there? Core brand values, they understand them. Okay, the cheeky girls have a cheeky Christmas. And finally, uh, much beloved um, duo from the TV show Minder, uh, George Cole and Dennis Waterman, and what are we going to get her indoors? (laughs) What are we going to get her indoors? So you and the listeners have to decide which of those five <coughs> is not real. Um, Father Christmas, do not touch me by the goodies. The Blobby in the Ivy, my Mr. Blobby. Give you one for Christmas by Hot Pants. <laughs> have a cheeky Christmas by the Cheeky Girls. And what are we going to get? Er indoors oh, by George Cole and Dennis Waterman. Over to you, Mark Okay, Ellen. to me. All right. The terrible thing is that I'm pretty sure I remember three of these and they are, what are we going to get her indoors by the Minder team? I think that's real. You don't have to say. Cheeky Girls, I'm afraid to say I'm convinced that Have a Cheeky Christmas was one of their records. Um, the goodies, uh, Father Christmas Do Not Touch Me, I'm absolutely convinced too that that came out. I can remember even at the time thinking that was a bit, bit dodgy. But I, I think so. it's between Hot Pants and Mr Blobby. Hot Pants, I think, would have probably 
put out a record like that because it promoted their uh, their, their name so uh, so so forcibly. And I think that that means that you have decided that Mr. Blobby, whether he did or he didn't, and I think in fact he didn't, should have at least had a crack at a record called The Blobby and the Ivy. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Just Probably. because you thought of it, he thought that should have been. No, it's just so hard because you go through lists of old... I know. ...scrapes in the charts, you think, crikey, was there really Father Christmas, Do Not Touch Do Me? Do Not Touch Me. Yes, there was. was. Not that got, long ago. He got a number seven in 1974, if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, give You One for Christmas by Hot Pants. <laughs> number 64 in 2005. Have a cheeky Christmas by the Cheeky Yeah. Number 10 in 2003. And what are we going to get air indoors by George and Dennis was number 21 in 1983. But the Blobby and the Ivy by Mr. Blobby sadly remains a figment of my warped imagination. Okay. Well, here we go. Continuing this theme, uh, in in quite a similar way, I I have five uh, Christmas singles too. Four of them real, once and, and all once on the market, and one invented by me. And each comes with a little description. So Spot the Ringer, fact or fiction, 2012, Rod Stewart made a single with CeeLo Green and Trombone Shorty <laughs> called Merry Christmas. You don't have to respond till the end. I'll give you the five, right? Called, called Merry Christmas Baby, a bling Christmas ding-dong about the idea of ideal gifts, e.g. Cartier watches and diamond rings. In the second one is 1984, comedian Ted Chippington put out a record, do you remember Ted? Yeah. Called yeah. Deck the Halls with Stan and Ollie. <laughs> the celebration of his comic heroes, which was featured on the John Peel Show and on Pebble Mill at One. <laughs> Number three, Weird Al Yankovic, Christmas at Ground Zero, which came out in 1986, interweaving typical Christmas activities with attempts to survive a nuclear holocaust. Right? Number four, in 1999, Wild Man Fisher and radio personality Dr. Demento, I'm a Christmas tree. <laughs> which I'm calling a short acapella blast of impromptu absurdity on Frank Zappa's indispensably bizarre An Evening with Wild Man Fisher album. Right? Oh and, and number five, it was in 1997, Beck put out a record called The Little Drum Machine Boy. Right? <laughs> which featured the lyric... Now funk this joint in tricked-out holiday gear, the system booming, strictly pioneer. <laughs> so I can't believe how similar our two things are. <laughs> Go on, can you, any, any idea? I had no idea at all, but I'm going to guess that your ringer is Beck. Oh, right. Okay. No, it's not. No, oh, that's a real record. Well. No, actually, my ringer was not unlike yours. I just sat there and thought, what? surely there must be a record called Deck the Halls with Stan and Ollie. Because I just thought that was just hilarious. And, and I wanted there so much to be one that I had to invent one. Originally, I had it down as Dean Martin. But only two minutes ago did I change that because he would have got that because I don't think really there was a singles market in 1941 when I'm suggesting he put that record out. No, there wasn't. Uh, you know, to celebrate their move from Hal Roach to Metro Goldwyn Mayer. But no, the, the ringer is is Ted Chippington's Deck the Halls with Stan and Ollie. We did well. Well, you, you did well. You win. Uh, I shall do better next time. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So I've been listening to a podcast again that I listened to a couple of years ago called Dead Eyes, and uh, it's the work oh, of... Oh, you told me about it, yeah. It's the work of an American comedian actor called Connor Ratliff. And Connor, uh, 20 or so years ago, was a drama student studying in the UK which means he was in the UK at the time that they were casting Band of Brothers, you know, the kind of post-Saving Private Ryan drama about D-Day landings and so forth. And uh, one of the senior producers was Tom Hanks, who also directed a couple of them. Anyway... He's an ambitious young actor, Connor, and he, he, you know, auditions 
and gets cast in a tiny part. It's only there in one episode, whatever. It's cast in it. But you can imagine how thrilled he would be. So he contacts everybody he knows in the world, you know, family, people he went to school with and whatever. Said, I've got a part. I've got a part in a major TV drama. Tom and Hanks guess, is my new best pal. Guess, guess what? Tom Hanks is, is, is in charge of Tuffworth. And he was just beside himself with the excitement. And then the agent gets in touch with him and says, they want you to go in and just meet Tom. And so he's kind of excited and also terrified. And this takes place in Hatfield, just north of London, which is the production headquarters where they're shooting this whole thing. And he goes up there and he meets Tom Hanks, you know, just in a, in a production office and reads the really short scene with him, really short scene. And uh, thank you very much, OK, and he goes out and after a while the casting director comes out and says those words which you use so often in showbiz, They've decided to go in another direction. Oh, Lord. Can you imagine? So this man's entire world, he must have been about 21 years old at the time, his entire world. He's bought a new house on the prospect of it. Well, he just felt sick with it, you know, as you would, you know. And when he sought an explanation as to why they didn't want him anymore, in this tiny, tiny part, somebody said, some intermediary said, it's because Tom thinks you've got dead eyes. Oh, Lord. They didn't <laughs> need to say that. <laughs> Don't you think? Well, they could we'll, have just we'll, said, we'll, well, we'll, we just found we'll someone to, who preferred We'll yeah. come to this, we'll come to this. No, no. So anyway, he's just destroyed, you know. And he, anyway, he goes off and he does various things and he leaves acting for a while, you know. Um, but he obviously takes a extraordinary interest in Band of Brothers and what happens, you know, and who turns up. In and it the person and, who gets his part. And the person oh. who gets his part, all this kind of stuff. And then many years later when podcasting arrives, he thinks... I wonder, would it make an interesting podcast just to do a podcast called, and I'll tell the story of what of what this was like. And it turned out to be several uh, several episodes, isn't it? They've done three series of it. Three series. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, and they basically he's he's gone and traced the entire. He, he's speaking to pretty much everybody he knows in the performing business about the thing that they know about that actors know about better than anybody else, yeah. which is rejection. You know, it's, you know, the core experience of show business is rejection. Yeah, it's not yeah, success, yeah. it's yeah. rejection, yeah. you know, acting particularly. And uh, so he, everybody's got a million stories about being rejected or nearly getting something or, or whatever. And so he talks to loads and loads of people, you know, and he gets he gets occasionally the quite prominent people, quite powerful people, you know, because this gets a bit of a he gets talked about in in Hollywood and so forth. Anyway, the one I was listening to the other day is the climactic episode of series three, where he gets to talk to who, Mark? Not to Tom Hanks. He gets to talk to no. Tom Hanks. Tom no. Hanks gets to hear about it through his children. Yes, yeah, Colin Hanks and Colin Hanks' this sister. This is fantastic. I mean, look, spoiler, you must, you've must. got to tell me what happened. I mean, we just got to assume that people listening are not going to... Well, be, people, people, are, people, now people are either going to listen to the whole thing, which is very good, or you might just listen to the first one and then listen to the, the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, all podcasts, and I know this because I write, I call them about podcasts, uh, you know, all podcasts claim that they, we're following a story. It's a journey. It's, yeah. a, it's a quest, you know yeah. what I mean? And most of them are not at all. This is, this is a journey. This is a journey to get to speak to Tom Hanks. You know, it's the three series of work. Uh, and, you know, and he meets Tom Hanks in a studio in Hollywood or whatever. And, of course, they, you know, Tom Hanks is absolutely key to this story because 
the problem is if you're rejected by Tom Hanks, you are rejected by the person, the most famous nice guy in the world. That's right. Everybody, one thing everybody knows about Tom Hanks, he wouldn't reject you. You know what I mean? He's, we'd like to live next door to Tom Hanks. I would we'd like we? to go for a pint with him. Absolutely. But also, if he did say the person had dead eyes, oh, then he wouldn't, he didn't say it directly to them. So, and he wouldn't have done because he's Tom Hanks, surely. So, anyway, they, they do an interview and, uh, and basically Conor Ratcliffe recounts his experience, you know, and he was yeah. 21 or whatever. And Tom Hanks, incredibly busy life, career, you know, working life, as he'd had, he's had for many, many years, has to say, well, I'm sorry, I don't remember this, you know. I remember The Office, I remember you know, this, that. I don't remember it, but I, I completely take your word for it. You know, this is, this is what happened. And, you know, and he sits there while Conor Ratcliffe, you know, recounts it all. And Hanks is just going, oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, I oh. didn't. Oh, she didn't. You know, all this kind of stuff. That's you sweet. Know? And it's a fantastic little insight into how, you know, really, really famous, powerful people are surrounded by people whose job it is to do do all the little difficult bits. Yeah. You know, once they've left, left the stage. You yeah. Know? And and as he correctly pointed, as you say no to everybody, as you pointed out, and he pointed out, why the hell did they say you've got dead eyes? You know, it's it's some kind of Chinese whispers thing. You know. Anyway, it's an absolute no need to say that at all. No need to say this. An absolutely fascinating insight on the whole into the whole business of how people get jobs in show business. And so much of it applies to how people get jobs in real life. Yeah. Because he had already, when he did the audition, he'd already made a student film with an old actor friend of Tom Hanks from many, many years earlier. Not a famous person, but a person Tom Hanks knows and respects and admires. And he's thinking to himself during this audition, should I mention this? Should I, dare I mention this? Or will this just seem appallingly gauche to do this? You know, and will I end up with completely egg on my face? You know? And so during the conversation with Tom Hanks a few months ago, he said, I, I, I did think about telling, telling you that I, I know so-and-so. And Tom Hanks said, why didn't you tell me? If you told me, I would have given you the job. Oh. You know, because... Oh, no. Because... You know, it's a little bit of contact. It's a little bit of human contact that elevates this completely above the normal professional yeah, encounter. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, I was telling my one of my daughters this story, and I said you know, he thought about mentioning this thing, and then he should have mentioned it. He would have got it. And she said, "Oh, nepotism, mate." I said, "No, it's not no, nepotism. It's, not nepotism it's how human beings yeah. work. It's just a connection." Like, well, if you know so and so, and I know so and so, then why isn't that for a very small part anyway? Uh, just uh, doesn't that give them an advantage? It's absolutely. But isn't it incredible how those little tiny phrases have an effect? I can remember when Felix Dennis. Do you remember of the Oz trial? Yeah, yeah. Felix Dennis and the two other editors were there. And the judge summed it up. I think he said that Felix, I think he was the someone like the youngest and the most gullible. He said, by far the most stupid. By the most stupid. He said he was <laughs> the most stupid. And this changed <coughs> Felix's life completely. I mean, had he not said that, Felix might have just sat around smoking dope the rest of his life like the rest of them did. But no, he, he was incredibly motivated to prove this guy wrong. And he did. And he did by, by <laughs> making an absolute fortune and being an incredibly successful businessman. Just those little tiny things that make all the difference. Most people's lives have one little sliding doors pivotal moment, don't they, where, where something yeah, happens that sends them off in a different But time. you see, the other, the other irony that, that, that Tom Hanks pursued with this, he said, well, you should have mentioned this, and I would probably give you a job. But then again, we wouldn't be talking now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because had he given them the job, it would just have been a job, just gone off, and, uh, you know, and uh, he wouldn't have had a 20-year quest. And he should have had more satisfaction out of this successful podcast. <laughs> Probably. Than, than the tiny <laughs> little role that he got that was never followed up at all. Yeah, That's yeah. why everyone was sitting there going, well, when are you gonna, what are you going to do next? Christ, yeah, you yeah. Know, who are you going to work with after Tom Hanks? That's a great story. So, so if, if you're looking for, I, I know Christmas, you know, is a, people have a break from the normal habits and so forth. And so if you're doing more dog walking than normal and, and we can't entirely, 
rarely satisfy your podcasting your podcasting needs, you know, and you particularly if you're in if you're in any branch of show business, I do recommend uh, do recommend having a listen to Dead Eyes, and uh, you can listen to all all thirty episodes or whatever, or you could just Which listen to the first and last, the first and last, first and last. It, now you know what's going to happen. You can fill in the gaps, but it's really still good. it's still you know really worth hearing. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit. From this next bit. We did this um, word in your attic the other day, an old pal of ours who was uh, <coughs> head of press at, uh, at, at Epic and was Michael Jackson's um, PR, uh, Jonathan Morris. And there was a bit in it which we both noticed where he talked, he had a photograph of himself looking fantastic, actually, wearing a pair of elephant cords. To me, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you a second. Jonathan had the most fantastic photographs of every stage of his career. Yeah, he did. he did. Climaxing with a picture of Mike, with him, with Michael Jackson and Nelson Mandela. I know, it's phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, he appeared to have... I'm being a press officer, I think in his professional life, there was always a photographer to hand. Yeah, there was. So he could always say, you, quick, get this, you know. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, no, it's just a great photograph, and he looks really, really good. And I think, as you said, it's his kind of... Uh, she's Paul Jones, or more specifically, his Mike Darbo phase, you know. <laughs> and it just made me think about, I suppose, broadly about things that rock made us wear. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you... Because I've, I've got some terrible confessions. I had... Did you have South Sea Bubble loons? You see, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail on this. Is it fair to say that rock made you wear the loon, or did just loons were there and rock Loons wore. were there, but on my case, there were certain people, in that case, I had a broad band, and they were wearing them, and I thought, that looks good. You know, it's like denim shirts with three pearl studs on the cuffs and tie-dyed shirts, T-shirts. That was a Grateful Dead thing, you know. The great coat. The great coat. Oh my God! Oh the my God! We'll come on to the great coat in a minute. There was cowboy boots. I remember buying a pair of cowboy boots because I think the flying burritos. And I think the Allman Brothers were having these kind of old cowboy boots. Um, hoop neck T-shirt with flared sleeves. Mike Oldfield. I had one very briefly. I'm sorry, I did. I'm going to go further. There is the it scoop neck and sorry, bell bell sleeves. Bell sleeves. Bell That's sleeves. Right. So you looked like a kind of minor character from the first series of Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop it was <laughs> scoop neck and bell sleeves, you're right. No, yeah. You look like a you look like an, uh, the village idiot in an early episode of Robin Hood, the adventures of Robin Hood in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> That's true. You couldn't no. look cool in those no. things at all. No, you're right. My Carry worst on. moment was a brief time I was at the enemy and I bought a pair of black fake leather black plastic trousers. I think it's Clem Burke. <laughs> Clem Burke wearing a pair in the Christmas Gallery plastic trousers. Oh, yeah, and I had about to plastic see trousers. that. Dreadful. But no, the bit I remember so fondly was the great coat because he talked about having the great coat and there were certain bands. There were kind of great coat bands, don't you think? Let's Rory just say a bit, 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 bit of background on the great coat because the great coat was the absolute. Sta- if if you went to college, university in the late sixties, early seventies, you had a great coat. Yeah, you just did. You had a great you had a great coat which you purchased either at Millet's or whatever your army Salvation circle army. store was. Yeah, but I don't know, possibly. Yeah, I they were just. Yeah. I mean, and I think they Lawrence they Baller. cost probably about three pounds, and they were they were the sort of things that looked as if people had worn them on the bridge of uh, of of uh, ships um, in the Arctic convoy in the Second World War. Yep. Yeah, and they were great double-breasted things with brass buttons on them. Brass buttons, double, yeah, double rested, and, and, you know, kind of collars that were ideal for putting up. So you were, you know, you described a very kind of crisp silhouette, didn't you? If, yeah, if yeah, you were, yeah. If you were entering a room. And um, and every, everybody kind of young and hairy looked good in them. They did. It was, it was as simple as that. That's why everybody wore them. They were cheap. And, and if you were young and thin, and everybody was young and thin in those yeah. days, because fatness was not invented. Hadn't been invented. Obesity came along many, yeah, many yeah, years yeah. later. Um, and absolutely everybody looked good. And you used to you used to look at pictures of, as you said, Edgar Broughton and who else? I mean, Free. I seem to remember Free. Free was a great coach. Andy Fraser and, yeah, and great Paul Consoff in... Medicine Global Medicine. Village Trucking Company. Yeah, absolutely. Stray. Stray. <laughs> I think a classic one is Groundhogs, actually. I yes. Very, very, uh, very, very... Uh, but you used to look Nick at Drake, them. even, actually. 
probably. Yeah. You used to look at them and think they're dressing just the same as I am. Yeah. And now it's possible that theirs was a kind of Kensington Market, slightly you know, better quality version of the same yeah. thing. But it looked the same as it looked, you know. On uh, on students, and I w- I was I was looking through my old pictures, and I found a picture of me um, wearing exactly that great coat in a laundrette. You're in a laundrette, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in a looking laundrette like with a, with extraordinary foresight. I'm reading a copy of the New Musical Express, and many years later, all these years later, what is it? Fifty. You know, whatever. Um, I can I can look up I can look up that issue, and I looked it up this morning, and it's the February the eighth, nineteen sixty nine edition of the New Musical Express with an advert with an advert for Scylla Black's new single on the on the front. Yeah. And I was looking at it, and uh, you know, because I found a PDF of it, and I was uh, God bless the internet, and. Uh, and I was looking at the newspapers, and it was uh, it had some stuff about the Beatles, and they said, and only last week they disturbed lunchtime commuters or whatever in uh, Savile Row by playing a concert. And I'm thinking, my God, that's I know that's the time, that's the window of time. Yes. You know what I mean? And so you can was, go back and look. January, wasn't it? There was a bit where they mentioned Alan Klein because you sent it to me, and I had a, a, just had a quick flick through. It's fantastic. But where Alan Klein has been brought in to help the Beatles, he's going to start a, some business arrangement with them, you know. But there's a story that really I thought was amazing, which is uh, Klaus Vormann of Manfred Mann is quoted. Did you see that one? And he talks about how uh, the age of the supergroup is here, because I suppose this is it. what was happening, it was, would have been Blind Faith, but yeah, because there's a story about no, they, they, they were only forming. Is, is going to be replaced by, uh, replaced in, in the new cream that Ginger Baker and Eric Clapton are forming. So they're, they're obviously forming. But he, he makes this really extraordinary statement. He says that, that supergroups are the new thing. And there's going to be this combination of people. It's Jeremy Spencer, it's Alan Price, it's uh, Ian Anderson, it's Clapton, it's Hendrix. You know, all these people are going to, going to like football teams actually just going to kind of uh, be interchangeable and that you know constant members of bands will no longer exist this is his prediction that <laughs> was really interesting well and to be fair I, you know the music papers and i looked at melody maker from around about the same yeah. time and it, they're all full of it because if you're a weekly music paper you could always get a news story about so-and-so, you know, Zoop Money is is thinking about joining up with Chris Farlow or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they, it's the kind of story that would be um, they'd come home from an evening at the speakeasy with that kind of story, wouldn't they? And yeah. it was a natural thing to run. i tell you the thing that it made me think of because, you know, as you say, that was the week that they were saying it's a new cream, only this time it's Steve Winwood instead of Jack Bruce. When the Beatles in Get Back are talking about, well, we could get Eric Clapton in or whatever. That's right, that's right. This was the very week that was the high point of that fever, wasn't it? it Yeah. Rock and roll is going to become like jazz. Yeah, just bring in the big star of the time, the soloist, exactly. Um. And and they were uh, they were no less you know uh, smitten by the idea than anybody else. And of course nowadays we look back on it and think, my God, you dodged a bullet there. Yeah, oh God. You know what I mean? What a disaster the Beatles with Eric Clapton. What a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. That is. Well, the Beatles with anybody apart from you know Billy Preston playing, helping out for a little, you know. A few days. There's another um, little news story later on, which is very funny, which is, I think the headline was something like, Seekers LP topples Beatles. Uh, and yeah. it just reminded me of that, that they always ran that uh, new, uh, that kind of news story in, in music papers at the time, because everything was about kind of combat and friction between bands, you know. And, of course, topples Beatles means that the Beatles, you know, White Album has been <laughs> at the top of the charts for four months, and it just happens to slip to number two on the week. That, but that's the band that's toppled the Beatles, you know. It's uh, so oh, yeah, kept that. Kept that. That story going for my mind you they still they they still do that don't they nowadays yeah. so, you know I, and who was it Taylor Swift or whatever had just all her singles 
didn't she, recently in the charts or something. Yeah. Or say, it's the first time since the Beatles. Since you know, exactly. They never say it's the first time since Take That or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just the Beatles is a thing to, to kind of measure yourself again. Yeah. Anyway, do you still have a great coat? I don't anymore, and I regret it. I was looking for it today to see if I could dig it out and, and, uh, and you know, wear it. I wouldn't mind wearing it, actually, right now. At the temperature. Right now. <laughs> it would be, I'd be very grateful, actually. Well, I'm wearing my plastic trousers. <laughs> <laughs> the Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. I just happened to be looking last night at a wonderful old clip of the Beatles doing Day Tripper. So when's that, 66? Yeah. And... Um, and it struck me, as it's never struck me before, that the sauciest line the Beatles ever wrote is this. She's a big teaser. Yeah. She took me half the way there. I know, that that seems rude now. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> as, as does the expression ticket to ride, of course, which uh, I don't know if we can even discuss on a family <laughs> podcast what that means, but... <laughs> It involves ladies of the night and uh, and uh, I think medical checkups. But anyway, no, I mean that's a, that is a, it's a very saucy line. Isn't it? it is. I mean, there, there are people who say it was originally or in one version. She's a prick teaser. Yeah, she took me half the way there. Yeah, but regardless of that, that she took me half the way there is the most brilliantly descriptive um, account. Of the mechanics of male sexual arousal it is. It is. that you can possibly imagine, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, you know, at the age of I, I was 15, 16 when it came out, and I just thought, oh, it's catchy tune. Yeah, I know, that. yeah. Absolutely. And all these years now, I think, God, what? How did I know. They get away with that. How could they have got it out? I know it's extraordinary. Isn't How it? could they have got it out? Got it out. But no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. So, anyway, that's my nomination for the Beatles' rudest line. Rudest line. If you know better, get in touch and let us know. You went to a gig. I went to a gig the other night, and it's a mild observation about instrumental music. It was on, it was on Monday. It was a, a group called uh, Sastrugi. We were a one-off group who were, who have a Rodri Marsden of Scrittipolity, Peter Buck of REM and Fritz Catlin of 23 Skidoo, and they're playing an art exhibition for uh, an old pal of ours called Michel Nowak. It's a kind of climate change uh, art exhibition in the, in the Royal Geographical Society. And this group had specially formed for the night and just played about 20 minutes of instrumental music. I thought they were fantastic. And it just struck me that maybe it's to do with just getting older, but there's something very, very attractive. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. About instrumental music, about things that don't have a singer, actually. <laughs> That's true. Because singers are incredibly divisive. They, they get up your nose Once really Once you quickly. get a singer up there, half the people might not like them or, you know what I mean, and immediately it shuts down your whole experience. And... Um, and it often doesn't expand your imagination. It reduces it. And there's just something very interesting about listening to this fabulous instrumental music. And I suppose I've just been a bit more and more drawn to it. Also, I can work to instrumental music. I find it very hard to write or work with, uh, with stuff with lyrics on in the background. And I wonder if it was the same with you, because you've been listening to more and more jazz, haven't you? Like, I have. Something I to have. do with the uh, fact but that... Not the other, although some of the jazz has, is vocal as well. Yeah. But yes, I know what you mean, because... You know, it's just it's vocals have personality, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. You can, you can go off people every bit as quickly as you, as you took to you them. You can the first place, and also, I find you know when I say I've been listening to vocals, I've been li- I was listening the last couple of weeks actually to Billie Holiday. So that's that's singing from a long time ago, and Ella Fitzgerald, and um, which I like, although. You know, scat singing, I cannot abide in any shape or form. I find it embarrassing. Brings me out in hives. Yep. Scat singing, I loathe it. Um, But anyway, what I find, and here I'm going to lay the blame at the door of the otherwise blameless Kate Bush. Yep. Huge amount of modern contemporary female singers... Uh, seem to be enthralled to the vocal stylings of Kate Bush. And they just sound to me like drama students. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it sounds... Over-theatrical. Very over-theatrical. Yeah. Over-affected, you know. The, whatever, whatever sadness I'm feeling is, is, let me tell you, the greatest sadness... That anyone has ever in thought. the history of the world has ever known, which yeah. is quite remarkable when you consider that I grew up in Virginia Water and I've got a college goldsmiths. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I know more pain than anybody yeah. else has ever known. And also, and when I'm, I'm happy, it in a way that it might be accompanied by <laughs> yes, by, by 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 an appropriate choreography too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that's the way you think of Kate Bush. I never think of her just singing into a microphone. I, I, I only <laughs> oh, think of her on stage in a leotard that's with enormous wings. I never. Actually She's, the, she's not singing, singing. She's actually kind of in a very, very elaborate. She's performing. She's, she's performing, performing precisely, precisely. <laughs> that is true. And uh, whereas you never have those kind of mental pictures with an instrumental band, do you? No, you don't. You don't. No, think. And I find that with I find that with world music too. There's a, there's a record I absolutely love called "Talking Timbuktu," which you must know by Ray Cooder and Ali Farkatori. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And I mean, all that's instrumental, but the, the bits that aren't, the vocals are, are, are in a language that I don't understand. And I find that immensely relaxing. <laughs> it's a good thing, isn't because it? Because I don't, yeah, because I'm not involved in the lyric. It's just the voice is like another instrument. And, uh, I, you know, that's. Why like, you talk, why you mention Roy Kuda? I've been meaning to say this for weeks, actually. Have you heard Roy Kuda's son's record? Um, no, no. Uh, do we say Wakin Kuda? Wakin Kuda. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who is. Worked with his father for years. Yeah. He's kind of percussionist, producer. I think he's a really important presence, actually. Yeah, in, yeah. And that Raikuda sound. Anyway, he's made, a, he's made a, a solo record. I can't remember the title of it, but it's, uh, it's, it's all songs by Uncle Dave Macon, the, the kind of country music, old-time music fiddler. Not that you never know no, the, no. the record. But it's really good and really entertaining and really easy to listen to. And you can't help but think this is better because he didn't write it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, See, possibly. You're taking a dozen songs that were done by somebody back in the 30s and 40s and, uh, you know, they've stood at the test of time and, you don't, and I don't know them. You know? Yeah, yeah. So they, yeah. they're fresh to me. Whereas had they been quarried from his imagination... It's very unlikely they would have had the same charm to them at all, you know. 
Anyway, so if you're a Raikuda fan, you probably found it already. But uh, if you're not, it's, it's definitely worth investigating. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. I read a thing this week that stuck in my head, and I can't even remember where I read it. But anyway, here's the point. These days, no two of us are on the same stream. Okay? Meaning so basically, that we're not watching things or, or listening to things simultaneously anymore. We're not. Um, it was the time when records came out and we all listened to them that week and now it's not the case. Anymore. And everybody had a view on them, you yeah. know, very quickly. Yeah, it's the second television album any good. Yeah, the world had decided, hadn't it, within a, yeah. within a week. Nothing changed it. And... Um, and we, we get loads and loads of examples of this, don't we? I know when young Alex was, uh, was away, a life on the ocean wave as a, as a, as a cabin boy on a, <laughs> on a whaler or wherever he was. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, used to, he used to watch and he watched Marvel films and only Marvel and films. And that's all he did, I know. And there are like 60 months, or 70. Months on end. <laughs> months on end. And still hasn't got through them all. Just absolutely hasn't gone through them all. And, um, you know, like I've, over the last year, I've just listened to jazz records pretty much more than anything else, you know. Because you can't even, you can in yeah. this way nowadays. And, you know, who cares about what came out this week, apart from the people who put it out this week? Yeah. Because if you don't hear it this week, well, you're going to get around to hearing it eventually. Probably at the point that you're, um, you know, more uh, amenable to it than you, than you would be if you rushed around this week. But if you listen to me, I'm looking at my own, my two sons, you know, they just went through all sorts of stuff. They discovered Joni Mitchell, the Cocteau Twins and Nick Cave, the Pogues and various people. And it's just interesting watching how they, how they kind of absorbed all that because had they heard those things as they came out at the time, the conversations they would have had would be about that record and which, which were the tracks that you liked. But if you're, if you're, Finding those things in isolation, what you tend to do is huge amounts of research about the story of that band. And therefore, they know enormous amounts about them. We did a, um, a quiz the other night, didn't we? And the answer to it was yes. Uh, the band, yes. And we were just amazed by how many people watching who, were, you know, I don't know, in the 40s, 50s, whatever, you know, were, were, knew enormous amounts about yes, didn't yeah, they? yeah. Having gone back and just discovered them later, you know, at a period in, they weren't there at the time when those records came out. But as a, as a general rule, you know, if you, if you want expertise on knowing a lot about any act, the younger the person is, the more they're likely to know. Yes, that's because true. they will have, you know, if you suddenly if you discover Nick Drake at the age of twenty four now, all the information about Nick Drake. Is all there? Yeah. You can, also, you can, be, it'll be fresher in your mind, won't it? You know, but at the, at the time Nick Drake's records came out, what was there to know about Nick Drake? Hardly well, anything. Absolutely, no. There was no information available. There was no information. Here's a bloke. He's made these records. Joe Boyd produces them. He once did a gig. Possibly that, once went to Cambridge. That's all you know about it. That's all. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and disappeared. Uh, Whereas now, you know, people can uh, read books about his it. His sister, you know. his mother, I know, yeah, I know. Absolutely. Well, I think it applies to loads of things. tunings. So, and, and also, I, 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 was, uh, I was listening to a thing, had a very interesting uh, podcast, um, a very inside show business podcast, where they're talking about how uh, streaming works, how, how uh, you know, commercial streaming, i.e. Netflix and so forth, works. And... Um, and they were pointing out why Netflix spends so much money on something like Seinfeld. Okay, so they buy rights to the entire catalogue yeah. of Seinfeld, which is like nine series or something yeah. like It's a lot of episodes. And they do it, and it's worth paying a fortune for those things because the people who watch that only watch that. <laughs> and they're the people who, if they didn't have it, would cancel their subscription. Yes. And I realise they're talking about me. Yeah. That's what I do. They're talking about it, me and Disney. It's why, why the Beatles get back. Okay. Here's what I do with Netflix, and I'll do it tonight. Okay. I, go, I open it. I go, oh, look, the centre. Oh, the centre. Oh, oh yeah. look. 
Cheers. I put the thing on the list. I bet, uh, yeah, I'll, oh, I must watch that. I'm not that, no. And after 10 minutes, I'm watching Seinfeld. And then I'm watching another episode of Seinfeld. And then another episode of Seinfeld. Because Seinfeld's a perfect Because you watched The West Wing recently, haven't you? We discovered The West Wing only about two months ago and are going through it now chronologically about 30, 30 years late. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I love it. I wish but, we could talk to you about it simultaneously. But, yeah. but and I watched it about five years ago or whatever. But even when I watched it, it was years after. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. But here's the thing about The West Wing, which is different from Seinfeld. You probably won't watch it again. No, I definitely don't think you will because there, there's no particularly memorable line. The thing about Seinfeld, it's just fantastic comic acting, isn't it? It's brilliant lines, lines you want to be reminded of. <laughs> I tell you, the other thing I realised about Seinfeld recently while watching the whole thing again for about the fifth time and the thing that makes it work even better in 2022 than it worked at the time, which is, is it's basically about four shallow, self-obsessed people. Yeah. That's the deal, yes? Yeah. And hardly any television is about those kind of people anymore. Everything is about people being noble. Uh, I've had had enough of bloody nobility in kind of film and television. You know, everything is a kind of big issue. But comedy is mostly about... Failures, isn't it? Isn't aren't the funniest comic characters the underachievers, the hopeless ones, the the, the, the kind of the except the great, the great the great thing about Seinfeld. And there are many great things about Seinfeld. They had a rule that Larry David um, uh, ran up the flagpole when they started. He said, "No hugging, no growing." Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> that great. And that, you know, and you think you watch so many things nowadays, and they're all yeah. hugging and growing absolutely all the time. You know, yeah. they've gone on a journey, they've seen the lives a lot harder than they thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, now yeah. they're better people. Well, the great thing about Seinfeld is they're never better people. They're just like everybody else. Yeah, dealing with really tiresome things day to day. You know. And, uh, and and letting the least generous side of themselves show, which is very liberating, I think, to watch it. So that's what I'll be doing tonight, Mark. I'll be looking on Netflix for ten minutes, and then and thinking, the "Oh end. well, there's always Seinfeld. There's always Seinfeld. Why not?" <laughs> and that's why I've still got a Netflix subscription. Somebody at Netflix has worked out that that's how it operates. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. Welcome back to John Innes, who we had on a birthday special, I guess it must have been a year ago. And he's yeah, it would be a year ago. Exactly a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he's here to, to chuck a log on, our, on, our, on the fire of the current, uh, this week's podcast, with, with an agenda item or two. So, John, how are you? And happy birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very well. Thank you. I'm a bit cold. Yeah, we're it's very well, God, you, I mean, you, but you've only got a shirt on. <laughs> yes. I'm wearing a, a gilet and a scarf. I have a radiator directly behind oh, me. Oh, right, okay. Warming my cockles. Yeah, Very oh, good. Wow. Very good. Very fortunate. Anyway. Well, happy birthday. Now, you've got a couple of things you wanted to discuss, so far away. Yeah, so, well, two things. Um, firstly, I've, I've been testing out listening to my entire music collection in chronological order. Um, and uh, what I've been doing is I, I sorted my entire... Apple Music Library oh, by right. year, and so then started with the oldest possible track, and I've been moving forward to the present day. Point of order: Does Apple do? Does it do that accurately, or does well, it not, ent- not entirely? <laughs> so there, there has to be. Once you start doing it, and you realise you've got all of these compilation albums that were released in 2020, then. Then, unfortunately, I found myself going back and renaming all of the I'm tracks. sure you so did. I'm sure you did. Which was, which was like a Sisyphean task. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah, would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. would be. I'm going to reorder pop yeah. music. That's yeah. basically what you're doing. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the 30s and 40s whizzed past quite quickly, um, and then everything started to slow down because there's a lot, there's a lot of music out there. That's what oh, I realised. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So what so have you the, learned so, from, so from so this? This is not this is not as the, in the order that you bought it. This is just yeah. the order in which it was recorded. Yes. Right. And I had to I had to um, give myself some rules to try and make it more manageable. So I took out all live tracks. All right. It was just studio albums. All right. Um, and and so it's I started in August last year, and I've I've just reached twenty twenty. So it's it's taken, and, and I've listened so, to no other music. Gosh, no listen, listen, when you get how when, much a day? When you get to nineteen ninety five, you just listen to nineteen ninety five tunes for yeah. roughly how long? Probably, probably about a week and a half to two weeks. For every year, okay. Yeah. God. yeah. It's, and it's you don't allow yourself if halfway through that you think, oh, do you know, I feel like listening to whatever sticky no, fingers. I, I, I had to. <laughs> I know. Rules I are rules. Kind of <laughs> We're not here to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> exactly. I've started, so if I'm ever going to finish, I have to just like really knuckle down. And and, it, and so what? I, what I've there's a few things I've learned while doing it. So um, so firstly, almost without exception, um, there is never a good track on a deluxe edition of what <laughs> right. was originally released. You know, it, it tends to be all filler. There's yep. a couple of exceptions, you know, where you really like somebody, you really want to hear the sort of evolution of a song. That's really interesting. But actually, you know, when you've got, I think I saw an advert the other week for um, Wilco's Foxtrot album with 80 tr- 82 additional tracks. No! Oh. Nobody needs to hear those. <laughs> Not more I was just once. looking at a thing just earlier today. Um I love hot rats, Frank Tapper's hot rats. And I'm always looking for something that should have been on hot rats. And I found six CDs of them. And you come to the conclusion, no, hot rats is perfect. It's perfect yeah. because they're not on it. That's always the same, though, isn't it? You get used to something and you can't imagine it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, you often find that that really all of that additional stuff it's it's okay. It's it's all fine. It's nice, but it's it's never going to sort of win your heart. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. What right. else have you learned? This is very interesting. Yeah. Any other uh, things? So, okay, so so no, get rid of all. In fact, let, we could have a rule. Let's in the future no deluxe. Release an album that has a deluxe edition. Um, you also find that you know when you sort of think of a band, you sort of put them into a slot of they're a 60s band or they're a 70s band. But actually, when you listen to everything, you see things merging together. You know, the the, uh, the Who overlap with the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks are around the same time. And lots of people sort of turn up much earlier than you sort of think they would. So um, Cliff Richard in 1958 <laughs> sort of, yeah. suddenly sort of hooves into view. Um, so, yeah, it's you sort of, you see this sort of crossover and things influencing other things. And then you also get those sort of really sudden changes. So, you know, from, from the early 70s to prog rock to punk to new wave to 80s, it goes really quickly. There's really yeah. big sort of quick Movements. changes of, of music. Um, and then, and I think this is possibly because I'm I'm over 50, that anything in the last 20 years, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of variation, but that's probably only because the things I'm listening to maybe don't have as much variation as in the sort of normal charts. So, um, so yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting because we were just talking about earlier the fact that nowadays no two of us are listening to the same stream following the same yeah. stream so you know so we all have access to all the same music and we just we we use it in the way that sue says so what you're doing there is very consciously restoring context on mm. you yeah and that's that's something that's gone from most music listening and it used to be absolutely core yeah. to music listening so whenever you listen to used stuff. to hear was what just came out yeah. When you're listening to stuff, you're you're just just reactivating that particular time, aren't you? And all things that were going yeah. on in your life at that time and in the yeah. world at that time, yeah. and also seeing everything as a as a progression, as a development from each other. That music came Absolutely. influenced that, which is really yeah. interesting, I think. Um, well, the other if thing anybody's is... looking for something to do over the Christmas period, there you go. <laughs> John, John, this is yeah. now, I've got a piece of software that will sort out your record collection in chronological order. I'll, I'll, I'll do it myself for a fee. 
The other thing that I've learned is that it's okay to let some artists go. So somebody that you've really liked, and you keep on adding those. Who things. give us? Oh thumb. come on! I want to know. Who come on, go? that's well, good. Okay. So okay, let me think. Oh, well, We've been seeing so... each other too long. It's not you. It's me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it tends to be lots of sort of smaller bands who had one or two really good albums. But you can't. And go. then, you know, I, there, there was a really good album by a band called um, Get Cape Wear Cape Fly. Oh, I remember and, the right. And their first album's great. Yeah. And I've added sort of four or five past then. I don't need to listen to them. They're, they're, you don't. No, you don't. Five Get Cape Where Cape Fly albums yeah, you do not exactly. need. No oh, world needs that. one track. And and there were there are some people I think I'll always stay with. So I'll I'll keep buying Randy Newman's albums. I'll keep buying Loudon Wainwright. I'll keep probably buying Rufus Wainwright and all those. But... Um, but yeah, there's lots of others where it's made me think. I just, I don't need to click the add to library button. No, you just, yeah, no, no, you don't. No, no, that is that. Yeah, yeah. Van Morrison. I don't need the Van Morrison albums. They're only going to make me angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the more recent ones, that may well be the case. Although, to be fair to Van and to anybody else, I do go through long periods where I think, I don't want to hear any Van Morrison made in the 80s or 90s or whatever. And then... And then you think, no, okay, I'll I play one, and then you think, oh, I like this actually. Yeah. Oh, I've got another one. I've got, you know, because you've got you've got a long relationship with these people, haven't you? So you've got a long yeah. period when you're on the outs with them, and then you might come, <laughs> you, you might fall in, make friends yeah. again, aren't you? And the old yeah. ones also, you don't associate him with the characters he's become, which has been slightly off-putting. I think <laughs> makes it hard yeah. to listen to the recent stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. You're also wondering, I think, about humorous songwriters. Mm. Yeah, and actually, I, I mentioned a couple of them there. So Randy Newman, Levin Wainwright, uh, to a certain extent, the Divine Comedy. You know, yes. all, all artists that sort of add a bit of wit to their lyrics. Yeah. And, and, you know, do they get sort of judged a bit more harshly because they're... Because I think you're play. right. I think the, I think it's like the I think it's like the Oscars actually. I think the Oscars because very few. I think only about three comedy films have ever won best movie. They've, yeah, the people have won true. individual Oscars for their performances, but but comedy films are simply not rated in the same way. They're considered yeah. to be slightly insubstantial, mm. and they haven't got the resonance and they haven't got the kind of the kind of the momentum. You know, well, it's, it it, it's not about way. your personal pain, is it? That's that's, that's right. Thing. And, you know, it's quite interesting. If you think about Loudon Wainwright and Randy Newman and uh, Divine Comedy, as you say, they clearly write songs about things that aren't their, aren't their own lives. Although, you know, sometimes yeah. they write about their own lives. Well, a lot of the time, Randy Newman or Loudon Wainwright, well, here's an idea. It's like an idea for a short story. I saw a guy in a cafe and I saw him do this. And yeah. That's interesting. And there's always a critical tendency to think that's a bit superficial, which is nonsense. It's complete yeah. nonsense. Yeah. Whereas anything that I drag from the pit of my being is somehow absolutely fine because and, of my personal pain. And yeah. it's also it's also much harder to write yeah. those fictions, to invent complete set of characters and events that never happened and to yeah. hone that into some kind of comic shape than it yeah. is to just yeah. dredge up some kind of emotion you had when uh, when somebody left you two years ago. You know? yeah. But it's yeah. funny, the Randy Newman case, I was thinking about him, and Randy Newman kind of gets away with it more than most of those performers he talked about because he's got a kind of bluesy, there's a bluesy vibe off Van Morrison. Mm. Off, off Brandy Newman, sorry. You know, in the sense that it just feels slightly downbeat. Yeah. And and the thing about pop music, young fella, my lad, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about pop music is, is, is it has to be built for two kinds of listening, doesn't it? It has to be built for kind of close attention listening and background listening. Yeah. And actually, then the background listening is more important probably, you know, yeah. than the close yeah. attention. And Randy Newman's interesting. So that that sort of idea of writing songs in characters and writing ironic songs, writing songs in the voice of somebody who's actually a horrible human being or a slave trader. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. Some of those other the songs on Sail Away. Um, last time I saw him, which was probably about five years ago, um, he he discussed, well, I'm going to sing this song. And I, I have to warn you. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, in, it's in character and it's got some words 
um, that you may not like, but I've decided, you know, it's it's social commentary. It's telling you, you yeah, know, yeah, what you should, be, you know, uh, avoid these these sort of, you know, terrible um, ways of looking at the world. I wonder if he would still sing some of them. I think some now might be. No, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, there's the risk that somebody might misunderstand them, and well, I mean, not some kind yeah, of social media point, thing about. But the whole point about you know, art of any kind is we should misunderstand it. You know, because is anybody, is anybody going to write down for me what, what T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland means? I don't think yeah. they're going to do it. You know, yeah. the whole yeah. thing about these things is they're ambiguous. They're, they're, they're kind of on the edge, you know. And yeah. I, I think Randy knew is a brilliant case because he's he's the kind of poet of the, of the unworthy thought, isn't he? Mm. The thing that yeah. drifts up. Yes. You find yeah. yourself thinking... Yeah. It's funny, we're only just talking about Seinfeld just before you came yeah. on, John, and it's very similar. Seinfeld's yeah. full of stuff that you read. Did I just say that out loud? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and when Randy Newman used to do those songs back in the day, he just did them. Mm. And uh, he wouldn't have to sell you anything about them beforehand. And people just there's a, grimaced. There's a, a great story in one of, I think I've got a, one of the box sets of Randy Newman, um, he gives a bit of commentary about each of the songs. He talks about short people, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's a sort of, um, anybody doesn't know it, it's essentially about racism, so it's sort of casting short people as um, as any kind of uh, under minority group. And and he talks about how, when he originally started singing it, the short people of America started sort of protesting <laughs> outside yeah, yeah. of gigs. Um, and and he says, you know, they, they couldn't see that it was an allegory. Maybe I was right about the little buggers all around. <laughs> <laughs> you see, but that's kind of a, that's sort of the, because I always feel Randy knew that he just sits there with the piano and there's something just occurs to him and goes, yeah, do I dare? Yeah, I dare. <laughs> and uh, that's the great appeal of Randy Newman. If if you if everything was absolutely clear. You wouldn't have the appeal at all. He'd just be like he'd be like Al Stewart. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to know where he stands. It's you know, it's it's a complicated world, isn't it? You know, people think all kinds of things that they didn't ought to think. Um, but but I think you're right in saying that you know that those people who are known for the kind of story songs do not get they don't the. Um, the respect, although yeah. maybe they will now, John. <laughs> Just as a consequence of your being our guest on your on your birthday, is it today? Uh, it was last week. All right, okay, so right. A week into my elder years. All right, so it'll it'll merge into Christmas. You know, two weeks of festivities and, yeah. and all that. Lovely to talk to you. The Word Podcast, one of the few things you really need in life. So, Alex, uh, when you're singing songs where uh, either of them as a member of the Beatles or in your in your own right, do you ever have a, any difficulty remembering the lyrics? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes. So, actually, when I got back to it after the pandemic, I realised that for perhaps the first time in my performing life, I was nervous. And that was because I'd been, I'd gone so long without performing. The longest I'd been without performing since I started when I was in short trousers, uh, I was worried about remembering everything I had to perform. And, and, and what I found that I was missing out lyrics, but what I figured was the, the less I thought about it, the more they just, this is yeah. it. It's, it's like what they say yeah. about sport. They always say, don't think, concentrate different thing yeah they're very, very true <laughs> once you think about it you start getting anxiety anyway it's interesting you should say that that you after a layoff because the reason i was asking the question i was watching an interview with a woman who had been a producer on david letterman's show in the states a segment producer for years 20 years whatever working with celebrities and acts and so forth getting them on and talking them through it and babying them through it and it took them years but they managed to get the reunion of Sonny and Cher. And Sonny and Cher had once been America's favorite couple, used a massive, high-rating TV show for absolutely years. They were a married couple, then they weren't. And anyway, they got them back together again on the show. And at the end of the act, they said, at the end of the interview, said, 
will you do a number for us? Will you do a number? And the band strike up. They strike up the tune. They hand them the mics. They start. And then she realizes they have forgotten the lyrics to I Got You, Babe. I can understand it, though. (laughs) The pressure. I know. I remember actually. I remember being at Madison Square Garden doing a thing about as an MTV show with and Diana Ross uh, was on on the bill and they had the lyrics to Baby Love up on an auto cue for her just in case she she because you just can't risk somebody forgetting you know. I do remember one instance actually. I was on tour in the US with the Uke Orchestra and one of the songs that I would sing would be Viva La Vida by Coldplay. One of the biggest hits in the world at the time, right? You know, and we'd be doing this for a couple of months every night on the trot. And um, we get past the verse, we're about to launch into the chorus. And I realise about a second it before we we're, were meant to start singing the chorus that I'd suddenly lost all the words for the chorus. It was it was like watching my car about to crash. That, you see, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly. the nature of forgetting things. It's, it's the fear a few seconds before. But you know what I did? In my absolute blind panic, because you've got no choice other than just to just to go along with it. You made them up. I went. It's all. It's all just seen that. As if to say. Now's your chance. Repeat to fade. This podcast was brought to you by the word. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.